Welcome to the Business of Eye Innovation, MedDevice Consulting's regular podcast about all things ophthalmology in Europe. Joining us for this two-part topic, transforming clinical data into a peer-reviewed publication, are Professor Dr. Stephanie Joachim, who is Head of Experimental Eye Research at Ruhr University in Bochum, Chloe Jamel, who is our Regulatory Project Manager and part of our clinical writing team at MedDevice, and Dr. Anjali Yu, Cornea Fellow at the University of Ferreira. Today, Dr. Joachim will get us started with a discussion of how to go about submitting your manuscript for peer review. In our follow-up episode, Dr. Yu will dive into the topic of statistics and how to structure your collected data and perform data analysis and interpretation. So to begin, I'm pleased to introduce Dr. Stephanie Joachim. Hello, thank you for the introduction. First of all, thank you so much for inviting me to speak. Um, I was asked to give a few words or sentences about myself, some information on my background. So I'm an MD by training and I'm a professor for experimental ophthalmology. So a lot of the publications that I worked on and the review articles are on experimental basic research, but I also do clinical work and translational research. So I've seen a lot of different papers and worked in a lot of different projects. We have a bunch of papers that have been awarded, for example, by European Vision Institute and also others. And I also know the other side a little bit because I'm an editorial board member on several um, scientific journals. And I've been an editor for a bunch of special issues and research topics. And I review a lot of publications as a reviewer. So I know the side of a reviewer and also the editor handling the case and then also the person writing it. And it's always a little bit, uh, you always have a little bit different perspective on everything. So, but now why why do we publish? Publications are crucial. A lot of you guys heard this um, publish or perish phrase before. And if you are a researcher and also a clinician, you publish because um, you need to get publications out there of your data to eventually apply for a grant to get um, funding for yourself, maybe for a scholarship, for a travel grant to go somewhere else, to learn some new techniques or for your department. But a lot of times already in the early stages of your career, uh, publications are crucial because a lot of uh, MD and PhD programs require you to publish your data. So I highly recommend to start as soon as possible to um, work on publications uh, to get um, the experience how to publish papers. So how do you start? That's always someone tells you, you have this nice study, why don't you publish it? And then it's really hard to do the first step. I wish I, I had this 10 years ago when I you know wrote my first paper. Because yeah, it's a mess, and uh, and I think when you start, it's like a normal that you know it's it's difficult and it's a learning process uh, you have to follow. And if I you know, I think also to write a good paper, I think you need to read also a lot of clinical studies be- before you start. I think it's how also you understand how the results are presenting, how the flow of the paper should be, because especially in clinical studies, it's like kind of always the same uh, procedure to follow. Uh, So yeah, it will be one of uh, my advice. 
Thank you, Cloty. That's a very good point. It's helpful to have a good understanding of the flow and style of other papers before diving into writing your first one when you're ready. I, I recommend that you first get an overview of your project. What, what is my research question? What is the hypothesis that we had before we conducted this clinical study or before we did this experiment in the lab? Do a literature search. I mean, when you started with the project maybe a year ago, things were a little bit different or something. So go to PubMed or um, Google Scholar or whatever and look at recent publications. Did other people also um, do a study like this uh, using this kind of glaucoma patients or did they use the cell culture model in, the, in recent times? What is the difference to your project? What is the new and innovative part of your um, study? And then you have you go kind of to the drawing board. Do I have all the data I need to really say that the hypothesis that I had is correct or that it's not correct? What is the story you want to tell? And then you maybe have to go back and say, okay, I'm missing some, if it's a lab work, I'm missing some experiments that I still need to do in the lab. I still need this in this measurement or for your clinical data, do you maybe you're missing some important measurements um, from these patients or you're missing some, some background information that you still have to look up or maybe do some further calculations. This is really important and then do a timeline. Are you publishing for special issue or because you are doing a report for a project or deadline for a sponsor? And um, when you do your timeline, really plan the time that you need for writing and revising and also include the time that your co-authors need to read everything that if it's an industry sponsored um, study you probably have to get approval from them that might take a couple of weeks always depending on the contract and then if you will do ex additional experiments or you need to do further statistical analysis that also takes time so really be realistic in your timeline if you didn't write anything yet and the deadline for the special issue is in four weeks it's quite ambitious let's say that that's an important point to fully understand the timeline you're facing and all the pieces that need to be pulled together I think it helps to define too what type of manuscript you're writing. Do you want to speak to that a bit? The first uh, step before you really start writing is uh, the question, what kind of manuscript do you want to write or should you write? There are, of course, the classical um, full-length original article, and they, they can be for clinical studies as well as for experimental studies. And there are also um, some special journals that publish um, certain study protocols for the first time. But there's also an option if you have done a small trial or a small experiment to maybe do a brief report or a communication or maybe a case series or case a report, something like this, or maybe a letter. And then, of course, there are review articles where a lot of times you might get invited or it's your idea or the idea of your research group and you initiate a review and there are also shorter review articles um, that are usually perspective articles. So I think it's really crucial before you really start to write to see if it makes sense to do a full-length article or if it's rather suitable for case report because you have a quite small number of patients that you are reporting on. 
And it's, of course, if it's your first or second paper that you're writing, always, you know, consult with a supervisor, mentor, or also some colleagues, you know, this is the data that I have. This is the results that I found. What do you think is uh, might be an appropriate um, type of article? And so this is a little bit different for, um, for the different journals, but in general, a research article is much longer. So it's also more work, but you also need to have more data because it has a lot of times, it has five, six, seven, eight figures, tables in it. On the other hand, a report might be um, sufficient to have uh, two figures or a table in it. And it's also a lot of shorter and the letter is even shorter than that. So keep that in mind when you um, start writing that you, you choose the appropriate format depending on your study. And sometimes it might be easier if it's your first publication to do a letter or a case uh, series first before you jump into this uh, big research article. Yes, it's certainly a good approach to start a bit smaller and use your first publication as a learning opportunity before jumping into the deep end with a full research article. The type of manuscript you choose may also be influenced by which journal or publication you want to target too. Of course, you also need to look at the journal. There are certain journals that are quite specialised in clinical studies for ophthalmology or they are specialized in experimental studies. But of course, there are also papers, journals um, that like Frontiers uh, Group or PLOS One, I'm just mentioning some examples, that are not just for ophthalmologists or ophthalmolic research. And um, if you, so when you decide which journal this publication should go to, you also have to keep in mind the audience. Is it really, for eye, for eye surgeons or is it in general for scientists? And then you, you might have to adapt um, how you write a little bit and how you define certain words. And so look at the aim of the journal and see if your uh, project is really suitable for this journal. And then um, what I think is always really crucial, look at the author guidelines. Sometimes these uh, journals have a template that you need to use and you should submit this word template that they have. Other times they don't and maybe ask a colleague if they have templates from other manuscripts so you can have like an idea how it should look like. And look at the author guidelines, how long should each section be. Sometimes they have special requests in regarding the format of graphs or figures or they have a template to how to do tables. And also the citations are sometimes um, supposed to be in a certain style. And sometimes if you use a citation program like EndNote or Citavi, they have a link where you can download the right format and that will make it a lot of easier to, to, to cite correctly. And then also look at the language. Uh, probably you will publish in an international journal, so it will be in English. But there are also journals um, for each for countries the, for your local country. So the journal might the language might be French, Italian, German, whatever. And then keep in mind that um, some journals require U.S. English and some require British English. And I think it's always helpful to already have this um, all this set in the beginning, so you don't um, get it confused while writing, and um, you have your layout and your template and then you can actually get started. So as we're getting started 
what primary sections will we need to include in our manuscript? So all of you guys know that uh, we have these different sections in a paper, abstract, introduction, method, results, discussion, followed by some references, maybe acknowledgement and supplements. But this is usually not how you write the paper. And um, I, I usually start with the method and the results, and you can even combine them and say, okay, first I talk about the general clinical data, or I talk about how I set up the cell culture experiment, and then you do the appropriate results section at the same time. This makes it a lot easier for you later on, because then you already know what are the methods and what are the findings I will have in my publication. And you can um, have an introduction or write an introduction that's a little bit more specific to your sections, to your results. Of course, if it's on, if you have a Kono study, you should mention that in the introduction, but maybe you want to write an, about a specific um, marker or diagnostic device you use, and then you can also um, talk about that in the introduction. Afterwards, I usually um, write the abstract, including an appropriate title, and then go to the discussion section, which is usually the most time consuming in terms of writing and literature research. References I put in brackets because if you use a citation program, you should put the citations into your text while you write. And then so the references are already there when you're finished with the other sections. And then you might need to add acknowledgement and in case you have some supplemental data, you should also add that. So we are almost ready to start now. Of course, you need a appropriate uh, software to do all your stuff, like, like Word or whatever you use for writing. Citation softwares are highly recommended. It will make your life a lot easier. In case you still have to do some statistical analysis, you need an, a statistics program. And maybe you um, have not only tables, but you want to put in some uh, picture panels, then you need a graphics program to do some nice pictures. It always will look a little bit better than doing them in PowerPoint. And of course, most important part, you need all your results, maybe general information about the project, specific clinical data. You might um, have an approval number from the ethics committee if it's a clinical study. Or if you do um, animal research, you will have an animal care committee approval number. And all this usually needs to be included. It's in a requirement with almost every journal. Of course, it's also important to keep in mind who is an author on the paper, who did what. So how is the order of these authors? That's usually if you're um, in the beginning and this first, second paper you write, always uh, helpful to discuss this with your supervisors, mentors. Also, like, yeah, for the authorship, um, I think also it's important to decide the orders, the list of authors, like, beforehand, even, like, before writing the paper. It's something, you know, we learned during, uh, uh, I learned during my postdoc, because sometimes, you know, if you're not maybe you know, the author have different expectations and maybe when like, you know, all the work is done and you decide the authorship at this time, you know, you can, that can lead to some like, you know, disagreement or 
So you don't want this to delay your work and the submission process. So it's also important to like decide this very clearly with the supervisor or, you know, everybody, um, you know, to make sure, you know, this won't be a problem in the future. And keep in mind, don't forget collaborators. Maybe you send out some samples to be analyzed in another lab or in another clinic. Please don't forget them and include your funding information. It's a lot to prepare in advance, but the more organized you are, the easier the whole process can be. So with all of this prepared, what's next? So now we are finally ready and we can start writing. And like I mentioned before, uh, start with the method sections because um, I mean you know what experiments you did or which examinations you performed in your patients so you can put this in there the information need, needs to be su su sufficient so people know what you did but don't uh, exaggerate don't make it too long include your approval numbers of the ethics committee and stuff like this but if you use quite common methods like you did a blood draw or something it does not have to be explained in a lot of detail. Just mention that you did it and how the sample was stored or whatever or um, for some really established methods or stuff where you're doing a follow-up study from another project in your department. You can always also cite this other publication with this method and uh, put in the reference. And then this, this way you can shorten your methods section. It's important to have some information if it's an experimental project, maybe you put in some antibodies or some kits that you use for evaluations or you have a, uh, some clinical data from your different patients groups. I always highly recommend to put in tables. It's easier for the reviewer and also for the reader if they can look up certain information in a table and they can see how many patients you had, what the visual acuity was, stuff like that. Um, don't forget that you need to provide information about the equipment and the materials you use. Most journals require that you also put in the, the city and the country where, you, where the equipment is from. And of course, for all your evaluations that you're showing, you need to include um, what kind of statistical analysis you did. So if it was not uh, done by yourself, um, get the information before you start uh, writing so you can include it. And of course, you can always check, you know, previous publications from your department and get some idea how to structure the sections, but be careful also for method sections. You cannot copy from other publications. So really just read it and then write in your own words and um, be sure if you did the analysis or the measurements exactly like um, like a previous uh, project from your group that you cited, you know, that um, everything is correct. So after we did that, um, we come to the results section. Again, um, provide figures, graphs, table to summarize your data. It's um, the best way for the reviewer and also for the reader to, to, to get an idea about your findings, mark what is significant. And if you um, um, provide data in the text, be sure not just say, I have a significant difference in between these two groups, provide the precise p-value so people know what you're talking about, or say how much the gene was regulated in this set of patients that was analyzed. 
for graphs and figures. They have to be informative. Don't forget the labeling. You always need a labeling for the X and the Y axis of a gray graph. And um, keep in mind that sometimes people, you know, they just go through your publications and they look at the graphs and they want to see, uh, you know, how was the progression in these patients? And um, it uh, has to be kind of self-explanatory. And so people can look at the graph and then know what's going on and they can look at the figure legend and they know um, what you found out. Don't um, be too precise in the legends. Do not explain again what you did in your methods. That's in the method section of the paper but explain what can be seen in the graph and if there was a significant difference or not. And then, um, so if you have a bunch of groups like um, seven, eight uh, groups of patients, maybe uh, you need to do some shades of gray or some, um, sometimes you can also use, you know, colors if appropriate, but keep in mind it's a scientific publication and it, um, it doesn't have to be too colorful. It just needs to be so that people can really read everything quite well and understand all your graphs. And keep in mind that the labeling on the graphs shouldn't be too small so the reviewer can actually read everything. It's also a critical point a lot of times. So you already finished the methods part and the results. Then go to the introduction. Okay, so you recommend writing up the results section first and afterward working on the introduction. That makes sense. It's easier to summarise and write your intro after you've put together all the pieces of your results. So how should our listeners approach writing the introduction? Give a brief introduction, but keep in mind, do not start to write a review article on glaucoma or keratoconus or whatever. And what I recommend in the last paragraph, state again your research question, give a brief uh, information about your project, you know, you included this in this uh, set of patients and you found out this and that. So one major finding kind of to interest the reader in your publication. Ideally, after reading the last paragraph, I would find uh, this so interesting that I will continue reading your paper. That's a good point, that the introduction should be a teaser. Reviewers read so many manuscripts. If the introduction can really capture their attention, it's more likely they will continue reading with interest. What's the next step? And then we come to the part that's a lot of times most difficult and takes a, up most of the time of, the, of writing is the discussion set, section. It's really important because this is where you kind of... Um, little bit sell your results and um, you can do an interpretation. In the results section, you just give the, the values and the data. But in the discussion sec section, you should talk about what you found out and how does this relate to other projects in this area and also maybe discuss um, some limitations of your studies. You know, did you use the right methods? Should there be and follow up experiments? all this and give an outlook, you know, how this project could be continued, or if this is clinically relevant, if it, if treatments should be changed because of your findings, stuff like this, and then give a short conclusion. So I um, always recommend that um, you presented your results section in a specific order, you had different findings, that you also keep this order in the discussions 
section. You can put in some headlines. This always also some subheadlines. It always depends also on the journal format if they allow this or not. And but you don't need to do that. But still, I would keep this order of the results sections also in the discussion section in first. And also do some pre, um, precise conclusions. Use precise terms. If there, if the, the, if there was a significant difference between two groups, then also write. You don't have to give the p-value again, but write there was a significant um, loss in ganglion cells. There was a significant inflammation or whatever. And um, you can do some to some extent, some speculations in the discussion section, but keep in mind, you cannot really go crazy. You still have to cite, you know, literature that this, you could conclude that this and this might be involved in the pathogenesis of this disease based on findings, maybe from another disease or something like this. And always, um, if there are other studies out there, maybe on a similar subset of patients, and maybe they found regulations in the inflammatory markers that you analyze and you didn't find them. Don't just, uh, you know, take the publication and shove it in a drawer or something, talk about it in your paper. Maybe they had a different set of patients. Maybe they used other um, kits for the evaluation. Maybe they didn't use the same inflammation markers. So it's not like that one publication is good and one is bad they have a different result and maybe they have a different conclusion and it will only make your publication better if you talk about this and discuss it. What are the differences between the studies? What uh, conclusions can be drawn based on the findings from this other study and yours? And maybe also in the end, you can convince um, the reader that your study adds uh, some novel information because you used this other marker or you had a little bit a different subset of patients. In the end of the discussion section, sometimes there's a separate um, graph required for a conclusion. If it's not, I would still um, add a conclusion paragraph at the end of this discussion where you give a really short summary again of the main findings of your project, how it advances the field. Maybe um, you did a treatment study and the treatment was really helpful for the subset of patients. And you mentioned that it might be included um, in the clinic in the future, or how maybe it was an experimental study and you said, but this could be helpful in understanding this disease, stuff like this. And you might also add one or two sentences about, but I still need to test this new um, drug in a larger subset of patients or things like this. So it suggests a further experiment in the conclusion. So because this is a really crucial part is a summary for the discussion. So it's a balance between being humble about your experiments um, and, you know, not exaggerate with your findings, but also if you have some nice results, show them and discuss them and make clear how they can be helpful, you know, for, for understanding the disease or for future treatment of patients. So after this, we come to the manuscript title. And 
I think the title is also a really important part of the manuscript and you really need to think about it or also suggest to discuss this with the other authors or some colleagues. Because, um, I mean, if you look for a publication in PubMed, this will be the first thing that you read. And it will also be the first thing that the editor and the reviewer see. So you have to catch the reader with this title. And you kind of have to sell your manuscript to the reviewer and to the editors. And of course, if more people will read your publications, then they also might find it interesting and cite it in their own projects. So there are actually some studies out there that say uh, titles should not be too long. So it should be like 12 words or less. But of course, you have to give some information about your study, maybe um, state a main finding, be sure to include uh, what kind of disease you were working on. So you have to be con um, quite specific and it has to be complete, but it still needs uh, to be nice so that people would um, yeah, are drawn to your article and would like to read it. It's true that the title is the first clue to what a manuscript is about and also helps it to stand out from the pile of others on a reviewer's desk. It can be a challenge to find the right balance of the right length, not too long and catchy or engaging, while also explaining directly what the manuscript is about. You have your abstract, maybe you already have a first draft of an abstract because you did, a, um, did an abstract for a meeting before you started writing the publication, so you maybe can use that as a basis, and but really go through the abstract and see that you have the quick statement about your problem and of course your research question is really important sometimes it's a little bit missing in the abstract and then what was the main outcome measure that you looked at what methods were used main results and um, short conclusion and always look at the journal requirements in regard to the abstract sometimes it has to be one paragraph and sometimes you have specific sections and also there's usually there's a word limit and then, of course, do not forget what I mentioned before. Keep in mind what kind of journal it is. Is it an ophthalmologist journal or is it a general um, journal? Is it more for experimental or clinical research? So that um, people who are reading this journal really understand what you're talking about. And of course, um, I need to understand the abstract without reading the article. That's really important to keep in mind also. And then you, you kind of finished on your text part of your manuscript, but you cannot submit yet because there are also some sections that need to be included. Which is why it's so helpful to start with a complete outline of all the pieces you'll need to include so you can check them off as you go and be confident you're not forgetting anything. So what are the sections we haven't covered yet? Acknowledgement, maybe people that are not authors, but they provided maybe a cell line, or they recruited a few of the patients, but are not, not that many patients that they are one of the authors, please acknowledge them. Don't forget them. And also maybe you had someone help with the analysis or a technician that supported you. It's always nice to, to mention them. And never forget that you also need to mention your funding agencies, including grant number. And if it's a bigger project with a bunch of authors, also mention who the funding went to and maybe you also applied for additional support from your department or wherever for open access publication fees then you also have to mention that in the acknowledgements 
So now you have your article finished and you give it to your authors, colleagues for proofreading. Um, you also need to write a cover letter usually. I recommend if there's an option to submit a cover letter. Actually, I personally, as an editor, I look at the cover letters and see what, uh, what are the authors talking about because um, it gives me a first information about the article. So the cover letter should be addressed to the editor, provide the information who wrote the publication, what it is, the name of your manuscript, uh, where you wanted to submit it to. Sometimes if you want to submit to a special issue within this journal, mention, also mention this, then give a really short summary of your project. And of, you also usually have to confirm this is an original submission. You're not reusing data from another study. And of course, you have to confirm, and that's also really important, that you did not submit this work to another journal. Never submit to two journals at the same time. And then, of course, you need to mention and ha have this already that all the co-authors read the paper and approved the final version. And um, sometimes I recommend um, to include reviewer suggestions. If there's no option to do this while uploading the journal, then include it in your cover letter. So then you're almost there. You can submit. Oh, so you are maybe waiting for feedback from some of the co-authors send out some reminders that you need the information and um, look at the journal requirements again or create a login account and see what else do you need. Sometimes you need to upload figures and uh, tables in separate formats. Sometimes you need all the email addresses and addresses from the co-authors and they need to be uploaded. So have all that stuff ready. Otherwise, you start uploading and then you see what's missing. Sometimes you need signatures and stuff like this, and then it will take you another week to get all that stuff organized. Have the cover letter ready and have your approval numbers ready because a lot of times they need to be um, uploaded into a separate document in addition to being in the text. I already said this. Please suggest reviewers if you have the option I personally, as an editor, are quite happy if people suggest reviews because it's not always easy to find them and um, figure out who is, um, if it's not your specialty, to see if uh, this reviewer is uh, suitable to, to review this paper. So suggestions from the author might help and they will be used. And there's also an option to exclude reviewers. This is something that maybe um, more should be discussed maybe with the senior author of the paper if um, or with some colleagues. There might be another research group and they are doing a really similar trial than you. And um, then maybe it could be um, helpful to exclude them as a reviewer. And then you finally uh, submitted your paper. And keep in mind, this all takes a quite a long time and then you're super happy and you submit it. And, but it can be possible that your publication is rejected. You get this after a couple of weeks, you get back this really long letter with a lot of questions and stuff that you need to change and revise. But this is something I can tell you. Uh, don't be too frustrated and never give up. If you have a good project and you do the revisions or sometimes you're not lucky, uh, with the first journals and the reviewers didn't like it, don't give up. Submit to another journal that, that's maybe more appropriate 
and then you will get um, some good reviews and uh, you will have your work published in the end. Thank you, Stephanie. That was that was really comprehensive and interesting. And, and I and I echo about never giving up and don't underestimate the importance of a good cover letter and of being brave enough to include in the discussion results that that are different from yours. Um, because it means that you've taken that holistic look at it, not just it's not just a one-sided story. And maybe a last, you know, thing can say it's about the why. Um, you know, you describe it it's really from an academic point of view. There is from the, you know, company and regulatory point of view that is also very important to get your data published uh, because, you know, especially with the new medical device regulations, uh, you have, uh, you need to provide, you know, sufficient uh, data on a device or a treatment. So it's, you know, essential for this reason as well. I'll, I'll throw in one more, one more caveat. Under the medical device regulation, it, you cannot get anything published with any of the ophthalmology journals today without having proof of ethics committee approval, um, unless it's a, an online survey. So do not underestimate the importance of registering your clinical study um, before you get to the public, you know, that's, and that's but when you, before you start the study and making sure that you have ethics approval if you're reporting on patient data. It's, yeah. it, it's absolutely critical. I totally um, agree. It's yeah. a, it's so important. And even if you are a young researcher and you work in a project, it's a question you should ask is, do we have ethics approval? And a lot of times an additional requirement is to have the trial registered. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much to uh, Professor Stephanie Joachim, uh, Clotilde Jamel, and uh, Dr. Anjali Yu. Bye-bye. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.